I like this little thing written in here. So I will, Christ is risen. It is still Easter season, so let's remember that. Uh, So I am Catherine Rayleigh, and it is lovely to be here with you all. I'm so thankful to Scott for inviting me to come while he was at the wedding this weekend. I work at Lexington Theological Seminary, and uh, I have been there a little over a year. It's been, uh, I can almost say a year and a half now. And uh, I'm new to Central Kentucky in the last couple of years, and this has just been a glorious place to be. So uh, feel free to ask me anything after service. I already heard from someone who had connections to Colorado Springs and uh, just all the things. So it's wonderful to get to know you all. This morning, uh, well, let's go ahead and start in prayer. And then I want to talk about your theme for a second. Will you pray with me? God, we are so thankful for you gathering us here today. We are thankful for all of the people in this church who have helped make this an inviting place to be and who have helped make it community. We're thankful for your word that has been sown among this community and for continuing to give it to us here today. Please put your message on these hearts this morning. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So, Mikasa, Sukasa, my house, your house, my home, your home. Um, a couple of summers ago was the first time that I moved to Kentucky because my family invited me into their home, which isn't unusual for family to do, but um, I had just been serving my home congregation in South Carolina, and uh, it didn't go as well as we had hoped. And, uh, Um, It ended up just, uh, usually a pastor would do the search and call process while they're still in their congregation and then go and see what happens. I felt called in this situation to go and do search and call uh, from wherever my next spot would be. And my aunt and uncle, who uh, had moved to Versailles, Kentucky, just a little while before, had said, uh, you know, if you ever need a place to stay, we're here. Our, our home is open. And uh, Central Kentucky seemed like a lovely place to go and visit. And uh, they meant it with all their hearts uh, that uh, uh, I was welcome in their home and that their home could be my home. So, um, (laughs) Kentucky seemed like a much better place to be in the summertime than South Carolina, so I moved there July 1st, and they had not lived there very long at that point. They had moved there into that house in January, and they had a beautiful yard in their new home with a beautiful garden that they didn't know quite what all it had in it uh, when they moved in January. It had a brick-lined path, and there were plots of flowers and bushes in the backyard and the front yard, and about like 10 separate areas with uh, shrubs and trees and dirt for growing things. When I moved there in July, all of those patches were flourishing. Some of them with vegetables in their right place in a little vegetable garden that my Aunt Debbie had put in. And then some of them were tomatoes, not in the vegetable garden. I like that we included tomatoes in our call to worship this morning. The original or the previous inhabitants of their house had been gardeners and they'd been composters. And they had composted all of their tomato seeds, and presumably, the only thing we could assume, tomatoes spread sometimes, but 
they had composted their tomato seeds into this beautiful soil, into most of the backyard patches. And the seeds hadn't broken down well enough in the hot compost. And instead of just providing nourishment and compost, they provided seeds for tomatoes to grow in all of those wonderful garden beds where the shrubs and the flowers and the trees and the bushes were supposed to be instead of tomatoes. Those were still there, the tomatoes. They were uh, small yellow cherry tomatoes were everywhere. And I didn't have a job yet at this point, so I became the household weeder. And I got to weed all of these wonderful gardens, which happens to be something that I love. And we decided at this point that it was time for the tomatoes to go back to their rightful spot. And so we left the tomatoes in the vegetable patch where they were supposed to be. And much of that summer, I was pulling tomato plants from the rest of the flower beds. Tomatoes had no problem flourishing wherever they were accidentally planted. They were sharing very good soil with the rest of their plants. And looking back and in the context of our scripture today, I realized that at least there weren't as many tomatoes in that brick-lined path. And luckily, there weren't any tomatoes in the front flower garden because they hadn't composted there. The tomatoes grew where they had been planted. And they grew where the soil was good. We use that imagery uh, of uh, seeds that we get from the Bible. We use that imagery of growing and nurturing things a lot in our society. And today's scripture text is familiar to us. It's easy for us to relate to, it's easy to remember, and it appears in three of the four Gospels of Jesus. And it's the only place where Jesus is reported to have actually explained one of his parables. One of the only places. He explained one a couple more places too. The thing about this parable is that it's not the seed that is different. It's the ground that the seed is planted in. Nothing changes about the way that the seed is sown. Nothing changes about the quality of the seed. I learned recently from reading the Woodford County uh, news, I think it was in the newspaper, um, one of the agricultural sections, that seeds can be different. And I am not a farmer and not usually a gardener either. And so I learned that seeds can be of different qualities and you want to grow and pick the best seeds that are available. The seeds in this parable are not like that. Only good seed is grown in Jesus's context the loving word and the spirit of God. And the sower in this parable is the best farmer that exists, a loving God who wants the best that's possible for God's world. A commentator suggests that perhaps the purpose of this parable is to assist the disciples in understanding why the response to the gospel message shared so consistently varies so greatly. The disciples are struggling with nourishing the, the gospel message that Jesus has sent them to proclaim. 
And sometimes people that they speak to respond ideally in the way that we would want them to respond. They hang onto the disciples every word. They immediately volunteer for baptism. Maybe they immediately volunteer for all of the church committees too. And they join with others in creating a community in those early churches. But that's only a fourth of the seeds of the hearers. The other three-fourths that the disciples talk to, they don't have such great results. People stare at them stoically. Maybe they just walk away back to their lives. Some people might seem eager at first, but then maybe others make fun of their excitement, or they say, oh, those Christians, who wants to be a part of them? And then they, too, go back to their regular lives. Others might hear the word, but the problems that exist within it seem too much to overcome. They can't let go of their security on their wealth. They can't meet their responsibilities at their homes and follow this Jesus person. That's three-fourths of the audience that the disciples are talking to. That's got to be pretty discouraging. And so the lesson is this, that God will plant seeds, and the disciples of Jesus can help new followers in dealing with opposition and temptation, with soil preparation, and that that fourth is a very good harvest. God will do the work in nourishing and preparing the rest. Our lives, our lives can never be free of pain or struggle. We know this. They can never be free of people opposing us, people that we get in those arguments with or conflicts with. Our lives will never be free of temptations. They will never be free of the cares of this world. But in the midst of all those things, the seeds of God's loving word will break through anyway. So we don't have to learn how to create a perfect weed-free, tomato-free field. We can learn how to continue to turn to God anyway, even when we feel discouraged by the amount that the gospel is doing for our lives and the people in our lives. Whatever obstacle you have come across, this parable tells us, God is still sowing those seeds, and it is never your last chance to sow them and to cultivate the ground around you, too, and the ground around others. We've never come across our last chance in God's world. Never. Not even when we are dead and gone, it turns out. The seeds that we plant in this world make a difference, whether we are here or not. When we feel like God's word has been swallowed up in the cares of the world, we can trust that it's not our last chance, and it's never God's last chance. The reason for that is that God is always changing and preparing our world, too. The soil is always changing. Think about the soil in which you have grown in, if you'll continue to carry this metaphor, the life and the riches that you have received and pulled nourishment from in your life. That soil has looked all kinds of different at different points in your life. It has built, 
and developed in layers. Each layer has added on some rich nutrients that a future seed would need to grow. At Lexington Theological Seminary, I've seen the product of soil that has changed over time. Most of our students, especially right now, have come to us after different life experiences that have changed the nature of their soil. Maybe they received the call to ministry when they were in middle school or high school or college, but they weren't ready for it yet. Their soil wasn't ready. They needed time to have other life experiences and they needed time to be nurtured by others. Some seeds that were planted needed other changes before they were ready to mature to their purpose. Soil is changing and growing all the time because of seeds being planted. We use that term, at least I planted a seed. I don't know what it's going to do, but I planted a seed. The harvest doesn't happen immediately all the time. In other words, we don't know what kind of soil we are putting our seeds in. We don't know how that seed is doing, but we spread that seed anyway. We love others anyway. We offer our homes whether we think that person has need of it immediately or not. Maybe our seeds that we offer to the world are going to lie dormant for a little while. And sometimes I think maybe we weren't actually planting seeds, but sometimes maybe we were removing a stone from someone's garden patch. Maybe we were clearing away weeds for someone. Maybe we were giving the soil water and nourishment. There are amazing things that have happened in my life because of a line of events, seeds, and soil being nourished that I might not even begin to name the beginning of. But it all makes a difference. And so the point for Jesus' message to us is that our loving, faithful voice makes a difference. Your presence in this world makes a difference. It's that presence that motivates to be kind to everyone we meet, however much they happen to be annoying us at the time. Our kindness makes a difference, even if that kindness is responded with rudeness. You're sowing seeds of God's word, God's love. It's that ability that motivates us to try to guard against road rage it's that ability that motivates us for treating every single person, young or old, with respect, no matter how unlovable that person seems to be. It's the motivation that keeps us to um, treat our servers at restaurants well. All of the little, small things in our lives that when we are so caught up in the worries and anxieties, we can't spread God's seed of love. We don't know what that seed is going to do but it's important to act with kindness in all situations. Your voice does a lot of work in the world. My pastor, when I was in high school, recognized my leadership and asked, have you thought about seminary? I had not. 
And I did. I wasn't ready for it yet. I went to college and I was an English major in college because I thought maybe seminary, but even if I go to seminary, it's nice to have some other skills, especially knowing how to read and how to write. Those are useful things. And then I took a year after college and worked with the Disciples Center and still thought, all right, maybe seminary, but I don't know why yet. It took some time, but that question, that voice of his, recognizing my leadership was important. I took piano lessons from my grandmother. It was about 12 years ago when I took them from her. It was while I was in Indianapolis on that year between college and grad school. And I had taken piano lessons growing up, but there were too many other interests at that time. I played soccer, I did horseback riding, I hung out with friends. But those piano lessons had never actually left, and I've pursued more learning and practice in each phase of life since then. So in 2007, when I moved to Indianapolis and was in the same city as my grandmother for the first time, my grandmother, who had taught piano lessons throughout her adult life, I said, okay, I'd like to, Grandmommy, will you help me learn how to play the piano again? We spent two months doing it before <laughs> other life crept back in. And I stopped practicing. We kept spending time together in other ways. But her piano lessons have stayed with me and I've continued to practice, and it's continued to be important in my life, and has developed even stronger because of the lessons with her. I still have the books that she gave me to practice every day. I still have her notes in my practice record book, helping me and encouraging me as I practice, even though she's not here anymore. She may have been disappointed that I only kept with it for two months, but I know that she would be thrilled that, to know that her lessons have continued to make a difference in my life over these past 10 or 12 years. You don't know what people are going to do with the lessons that you spend time with them with, the lessons that you have given them. At the end of my father's life, my father drew on lessons from his early childhood as well. His parents had uh, raised him in a Christian home, but he had left that uh, Christian religion when he was in college and never really returned to it. But when he was uh, dying from cancer, he started thinking more about God, and uh, he remembered that when he was in Germany with his father, who was an army chaplain, um, there were some Jewish men in that community as part of the interfaith community. And uh, he remembered them. He remembered that they always treated him with respect, and he remembered that they always uh, treated God with such respect and faith, even while they were arguing about what these scriptures meant. And he said at the end of his life, you know, I think I'd like to talk to a Jewish person. <laughs> And the family around him said, okay, great, any move towards God seems good. And so we got on a video conference with a Jewish chaplain friend, and she talked to him about the Jewish belief in the end of life. And it was beautiful for him. And he decided that, yeah, God, 
God could be real, and God has been loving to me throughout my life, even when I rejected God. The Jewish people in my father's childhood made a difference to him 50 years later because of their faith, because of their respect, and because of their kindness. Everything you do makes a difference. There's not only one chance. And whatever relationship feels lost is not. Whatever you have done wrong is only a beginning. However many times the cares of the world and the lure of wealth, as our scripture says, has choked the good growth, there are still more seeds. And the soil is still changing. Those yellow tomatoes all over my aunt and uncle's garden grew where they had been planted. They grew abundantly, even though they had not been asked for. Wayne Gretzky, you might have heard his quote, says, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Maybe only 25% of the seeds that you plant will be fruitful, but 100% of the seeds that you don't plant will fail. The last step in all of this is to give thanks to God for this fruitful growth. Thus, the kingdom of heaven is like a bountiful crop produced in spite of what might seem to be overwhelming setbacks, another preacher has said. God is producing this beautiful, bountiful crop all around us. And so we give thanks and we celebrate whatever is there. Keep throwing seeds. Keep extending God's love to all that you meet. It's never your last chance. Amen.